Our scripture lesson is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. That's page 1797. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. May I get some water. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help me again to open this passage of Scripture, to explain it, to explore passages that speak to it and comment on it, and to apply it, Lord, that we may be transformed by the reading and the proclamation of the Word as we look for Jesus in every place in Scripture and throughout the whole of life. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, I want us to look at some things here. First of all, thank you so much. I want you to look at verse 16 where he says, Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I want to talk about sanctification. Sanctification. That is to make us holy. And what is sanctification? Well, sanctification is both an act that God does in us and a process that God does in us and a process that isn't completed until death. And we'll look at that some. It's sanctification does not mean, in the words of that ditty, uh, we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls who do. Have you ever heard that song? Anyhow... A lot of people's view of sanctification or holiness is summed up that way. We don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with girls who do. I, I am surely glad that Sandy doesn't chew. Anyhow, <laughs> that's not holiness. Holiness is not what you don't do. Holiness is what you do do. That is, it is to make you more like Jesus. And so our model for holiness is Jesus himself. In fact, it isn't even the Ten Commandments. Though Jesus never broke the Ten Commandments, he broke men's understanding of them. He broke the tradition of the Bible commentators of his day about things like the Sabbath. But the model is not God's commandments even. The model is Jesus, because when Jesus is our model, then things like keeping the Ten Commandments fall into place. Jesus is the model, and being set apart is the idea of being sanctified. If you read through Leviticus, and I've been reading through Leviticus this week, you discover a lot about being set apart. And in Leviticus, being set apart, being sanctified... Being holy has nothing to do with morality as such. Think about it. There are things that are unclean. Catfish. I love catfish. Shrimp. I love shrimp. Oysters. I really love oysters. But they're all unclean. 
They're all common and not under the old law, fit to eat. Catfish, shrimp, oysters, can't eat them. Because a fish has to have scales and it has to have fins. And shrimp don't have that and neither do oysters. And so you look at things that are unholy. Catfish are unholy and shrimp are unholy. And oysters are unholy. But why was Israel in the Old Testament to observe such strict rules? They couldn't wear uh, fabrics that were blended. It had to be all wool or all linen or all cotton. Why could they not do that? Why could they not sow their their fields with different seed in the same place? Because God wanted to teach his people a basic lesson. You are to be a separate people, a separated people, separated unto me. You're to be different from the world. Now, I know a lot of worldly people that don't smoke. Do you know that Hitler did not smoke? I never met the man. (laughs) Hitler didn't smoke. Did you know that Hitler did not drink alcohol? Wow. Hitler did not smoke. I'm sure he didn't chew. And he didn't drink. And didn't go with uh, girls who do. Eva Braun, so far as I know, did not smoke or chew. Wow. So holiness has nothing to do with our sense of what's right and wrong in terms of cultural things. Holiness is about being separated from the world, separated to God. You know, when people talk about a separated life, so many people have a misconception that, well, you're not to be like the world in the sense again. And they often will name that, those things. We don't, we don't uh, dance. We don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't chew. We don't wear open-toed shoes. You ever heard that one? Oh, never know what a toe can do for somebody to look at it. That's not the separated life. The separated life is the goal and purpose and meaning and significance of your life. And that goal, that purpose, that significance can be summed up in one word, Jesus. That's the difference in the world and true believers. Jesus is the meaning of life. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I'm not going to pull a trick. I just want you to imagine that Jesus is sitting next to you right there on that pew. Just imagine that for a moment. Because guess what? He really is. You can open your eyes. He really is sitting with you on that pew. In fact, you know how he said at the end of Matthew 28... He said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us right here. He's sitting right next to you. But I want to tell you something else. Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. I'm going to tell you something else. Jesus and the Father are doing something. And that is, they are in you. Jesus is not only with you. He's in you. Let's start out with a great misconception. In John chapter 14, page 1675, he says in verse 1, 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Do you know what the King James Version has there? In my Father's house are many mansions. And I've heard preachers say, and I've heard songs that sang, you know, Jesus has been building me a mansion for almost 2,000 years. Well, I want to tell you, I've been in a few mansions over the years. And I can tell you that the finest mansion in the world is hell on earth without Jesus. You've never met people who have great wealth, who don't have the Lord, who are happy. I've seen people who were suddenly inherited a bunch of money and inherited a beautiful house, and they ended up just drinking it all up in short order. I remember a particular mansion uh, that I went into in Alexandria, Louisiana, and this uh, mansion had a, uh, a pool in the front yard with a spray and had a pool in the backyard, and they had a stream running from the front pool to the back pool. You ever thought what it'd be like for a rattlesnake, or not a rattlesnake, maybe a, a water moccasin to get in that front pool and swim through and then decide he needs to get out and he decides to jump out on, into, your, into your house right there with that water going right through it? I mean, that's attractive and that's pretty, but boy, you don't want. Mm, mm, mm. And the people who originally built that house were so miserable. They died very early. They were so terribly miserable and unhappy. You know, people have this picture that what heaven's like is like, wow, I'm going to have my own big mansion. Well, who's going to take care of it? And you're going to have this big mansion. It's going to be fabulous. So he says here, uh, in my father's house are many mansions. Well, let's look over at something uh, across the page and uh, rather on the next page where he says that in verse 23, uh, this is what Jesus says. John 14, 23, page 1676. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will come uh, my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our mansion in him. Whoa! Ha, oh. Make our mansion in him. You see, the picture is what? It's not of a mansion the way we, we picture it, like one of these beautiful homes here in Texarkana that now has been maybe donated for tax purposes to become a museum. It's not like, well, have you ever been in Vanderbilt Estates in North Carolina? It's not like that. Well, that's beautiful. Of course, they end up, again, making donations. And it's not like that at all. It simply means, in my Father's house are many places to live. And Jesus said that the Father and He, the two persons, through the Holy Spirit, will make their mansion inside of us. So I want you to see that the glory of heaven isn't materialistic. You know, the streets of gold, I mean, that's lovely. Gold is pretty. Gates of pearl, that's pretty. But the beauty of heaven is summed up and is visualized in those things. But the glory of heaven is Jesus himself. Without Jesus, heaven would be hell. 
And with Jesus, hell on earth becomes heaven. Jesus is what it is. Jesus is the goal of our lives. Jesus is the purpose of our lives. And to become holy is to become like Jesus. And that's our goal. We meditate on that. Now, I want you again to, you don't have to close your eyes, but just imagine at 5.30 this evening, what's happening? (laughs) Something interesting. Well, just imagine Jesus is sitting there with you. Got your bag of chips, your hot wings, other things, and Jesus is there with you. How will you respond? I'm not saying, this is not to quench anything. It's just think about Jesus with you all the time. And if we can self-consciously bring in by means of your imagination the sense that He really is with you, because He really is with you, even if you can't imagine that, but imagine it. He's with you. He's with you when you're driving the car. He's with you when you're riding in the car with your wife driving. He's with you all the time. He's listening to every word. And I'm not saying that to make you uh, fearful. It's really a cheerful thought. When you are reading a book and you're struck with something, when you're watching a film and it's very moving, there is a great Super Bowl ad from last year about, about a Chevrolet car and how a man had given it to his wife and how she had died. And he shut it up in the barn. And every year he would put a wreath on the door of the barn. And he would go and sit in that old car, which was covered with dust, hadn't cranked it in years. And his daughter observed him doing it. And uh, one day she got an idea. And she went down to a body shop And they came in the night while she was washing dishes and her daddy's sitting there at the supper table. And he seems to hear a noise, but she just makes noise herself so it won't hear. And they haul that old Chevrolet off. It was a convertible. And they do everything in the world. They fully restore that Chevrolet to the way it was, including remaking the engine. And so that next year, when he went to open that door and put a wreath on it, he noticed there was a brand new wreath on it. And he opened the door and there was the car. And he was so shocked. He got in the car and so did his dog and he cranked it up and he went off driving. Now, you know what? When I saw that, it made me tear up. When you're seeing something that makes you tear up, share it with Jesus. Because every good thing in this life should be shared with Jesus. And every bad thing in this life, you need to share it with Jesus. You need to live in the presence of Jesus. The more you practice the presence of Jesus, guess what will happen in your life? Again, I'm not, it's not about we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls who do. The more you're with the Lord Jesus, the more you self-consciously reflect on the fact and even talk to him. Be careful when you talk to Jesus in front of other people. It's probably better not to move your lips. But just, just talk to Jesus throughout the day, in the good times, in the bad times. And when you slip up, And something happens and you say something you shouldn't say. Hmm, how many times did that happen? Oh, oh my. Anyhow, 
When you say something you shouldn't say, something cutting to somebody, some put-down remark, just again, remind yourself, Jesus is with me, and tell him about it. Talk to him about it. The Lord, I'm sorry that I said that very insulting thing to my friend. Oh, Lord, show me how to correct it. Show me how to make it right. Live in the presence of God. That is the key to holiness. Because as you live in the presence of Jesus, your life is going to be changed. You can look at the Ten Commandments all day, and all you'll be is frustrated. Paul could say of himself concerning the righteousness which was of the law, blameless. But he wasn't really blameless because he, he obeyed the law for all the wrong reasons. You know, it's Jesus. So initially, sanctification is something that happens in your life where you what? In the words of First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, uh, in verse 16, it's when you turn to the Lord and the veil is taken away. The world can't imagine this. The world can't imagine that Jesus is actually here on Robison Road in Texarkana. The world can't imagine that. But Jesus is here. He's near you in the worst moments and the best moments. And when you turn to the Lord, that's conversion. That's being born again. That's being saved. When that happens, a lifelong process begins. Notice what he says uh, here in verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces are all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. So here's the deal. If your life doesn't know change at all, have you ever really come to know the Lord? If you've come to know the Lord, there's change in your life. You know the biggest evidence of change in your life? You get worse. What? The biggest evidence that you know the Lord and are being changed, being transformed into the image of Christ is you get worse. What do I mean? Well, it's like this. As you begin to have a new understanding of what holiness is, to be like Jesus... Then you begin to realize day by day, man, I'm not like Jesus. Wow. See, being like Jesus is not refraining from this sinful act or refraining from that sinful act. Being like Jesus is about fundamentally denying yourself. He's the model. He denied himself. What did Jesus give up for you? Did he give up smoking? Of course not. Did he give up drinking? Well, he did make wine. What did he give up for you? Did he give up hunting or fishing? Think of all the things that may cause conflict in a relationship. I often wonder as I see brand new trucks and wonderful trailers and beautiful boats with wonderful uh, motors. I wonder, how do they afford that? Because America's built on debt since World War II. And you can look at that. And that can cause arguments in a marriage. Would Jesus do buy one of those things? I can't say he wouldn't. But he could walk on water and reach down and catch those fish. But that's not the point. What did Jesus give up for you? He gave himself up. Sanctification is about giving up your rights. I often tell couples, 
You're not ready to marry until you're willing to serve this person. Because marriage is built on giving up your rights and serving the other person, whether they're a male or a female. The point is Jesus gave himself up, and Jesus is our model. And what happens is, once you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're seeking his face, if you want to know him more, if you want to become more like him, guess what? He begins to show you your life in comparison to him. And that's why you get worse. What I mean by it again? You begin to realize that you don't measure up. I can tell you I'm a very different man than I was on September the 4th, 1964 during the day. That night I was converted in the upstairs of a Presbyterian church just meeting with some people on the third floor. But guess what? It wasn't long before I began to realize that I don't measure up to Jesus. And the, so the holier I became, the more that I became like the Lord Jesus, the more I became aware of how far I have to go. So in other words, it's as if it's like this. Let's suppose that the standard in our minds is right here. And as we grow in Christ, we come to that standard. But guess what? The bar keeps being lifted in our own eyes, in our own eyes. In other words, the standard is higher and higher and higher. And the more you grow in your holiness that is more like Jesus, the more you realize that bar gets higher and higher and higher. You never get to it. It keeps moving up. Just like a coach training somebody to pole vault, get higher and higher. And in this life, you will never attain to it. And guess what? You will attain to it one day. And we'll talk about that next week. Why don't we pray? Lord, we pray that you would bless these words. That we would remember that holiness is not quitting habits that many worldly, non-Christian experts think that it is. Lord, holiness is to be like Jesus. It's turning the other cheek. It's shutting our mouths. It's not thinking certain thoughts. It's the moment that we realize as we pray that we've got, we've got resentment in our hearts, bringing it to you and asking you to release us. And Lord, that's an ongoing process where the bar keeps being lifted higher and higher. But we're not discouraged by that because we really are making progress but the progress is being with Jesus, sharing life's best and worst moments with him. Lord, living in the presence of Jesus, practicing the presence of Jesus. Lord, make us like Jesus. I come so far short. But Lord, I thank you that I am a far better man than I was in 1964. Lord, I thank you that I am far more like Jesus than I was back then. And yet, Lord, day by day, something happens where I make a sarcastic remark, a cutting remark, or I say too much, and I begin to realize, oh, Jesus, I am so far from being what you want me to be because I'm not 100% like you. Thank you, Lord, that as we meditate with an unveiled face on Scripture, Looking for you in Scripture, Lord, you change us. 
Thank you for that change. In Jesus' name, amen.